0: Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I want to welcome all 12 of you to class. We're studying the last lesson in the quarterly, the minor prophets, lesson 13, entitled Lest We Forget. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim. So I want to welcome those watching online, those listening online. Um, we appreciate your input uh, via instant messaging with the questions and things like that and the feedback we get uh, through email and Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media outlets that I refuse to use. Uh, let's start with prayer. Your gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another beautiful Sabbath day, another day of life that you've given us, another opportunity to uh, learn more about your character of truth and love and freedom. Please guide our study this morning. Please continue to bless our, ca- our class, uh, both corporately and individually. Uh, be with those of our group who are not with us this morning and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lesson thirteen: uh, Lest we forget, the memory text for Sabbath is uh, from Malachi one eleven. This is God speaking. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place. Incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations. Twice uh, God says, "My name will be great among the nations," and my. My first thought was, why does God want his name great among the nations? Well, what exactly does that mean, that his name will be great among the nations? Any thoughts? If we take the idea that the name is character, we
1: we would want that to be um, considered great among the nations.
0: Okay. Um, Certainly God's character is great. Um, But at that time, and frankly, at this time, is his name, is his character great among the nations? Yes?
2: He had sent the children of Israel to exile because his name had
3: been besmeared.
0: Not only had it been profaned among the heathen, but the Israelites had taken that to a different level. They had put uh, the profanity on steroids and done things, you know, detestable to. There, there were several other gods whose names were great, the nations who were idols. Okay, there were false gods whose names were great. Uh, my, my, my thoughts ran along, you know, the Greeks that came along after um, the time being spoken of here, that they, with the gods that they worshipped, um, these gods derived their divinity from the prayers and admiration of mortal humans. In Greek mythology... Greek gods got their immortality from our adoration. I mean, think about that for a minute. Yeah, how great is a god that that has to has to have its ego fed? Uh, whose character does that sound like? You know, ref, reference uh, Isaiah fourteen thirteen. Um. So, did, I mean, does God really need our praises? Uh, does He need our adoration? Does He need our prayers? Need we need it. We What? What? So, what? What is it about worshiping the true God versus a false God that we need? Yes.
2: When we look to God, we continually grow because it's it's infinite between Him and us, and we'll always be
0: growing and learning.
2: But if our focus is on the create creation, instead of the Creator, we'll cease to grow.
0: Okay, I I agree. Um, there are we can still worship a Creator. We can still worship a benevolent Creator. We can worship a benevolent Creator who sent uh, sent His only Son to save humanity, and we can we can give all that we can worship all these godly attributes, but it can still be a false god. Well, what is what is it that distinguishes the the true name, the true character of God versus the false ones, Lori? When
3: I read this text. I mean, his name, his character is already great, but it's not great among the nations because they don't really know him. And this it reminds me of the text where it says we won't say to each other, you know the Lord, because we'll all know him. And when everyone really knows the true character and the true name of God, his name will be great and there will be incense offered because when we really know him, there's no other conclusion.
0: Mm, Well said. So, what is it we know need to know, first of all, about, about his character in order to present to the nations?
4: God's love.
0: God is love. God is trust, God is truth. Anything else?
2: God can me.
0: God is healing. I like that. Absolutely. Keep these things in mind as we uh, as we delve into the text. Um this is a quote from uh, Sabbath le- sorry, I'm switching apps here. Yeah, this is a quote from Sabbath's lesson, Second paragraph. The central message of Malachi is that while God revealed His love for his people throughout their history, that love also made his people accountable to him. The Lord expected the chosen nation and his leaders to obey His commands. All right. <clears throat> Some questions popped up in my head as usual what um, what is it about god 's love that makes his people accountable to him, or is this even an accurate statement why 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 are we accountable to God?
5: We're accountable to Him for our
4: sustenance, our
0: very lives, our bread, our everything. We're, we're certainly dependent. We're certainly dependent on Him for that, and no question about it. Lesson says accountable, though, um, and I'm not sure that accountable and dependent are interchangeable here. They might be. I mean, you can make an argument for that. But let's let's use the term accountable. Are, are are we accountable to God? Let's let's start there.
3: We were accountable if He's. Healing us and transforming us into His image to be like Christ. I mean, that's some sort of accountability because He is Jesus is the face of God. He He's our example. He's what we're being transformed into.
0: Okay, but that's certainly you know we certainly have to play a role in that. But that's His work. I mean, it's it's His job to do it. Yeah. Um, thoughts? I don't
6: like the
0: word. You don't like the word accountable. I didn't care for it much either but let's let's try to flesh this out because you know we're going to we're going to for the rest of our lives we're going to encounter things like this that we need to we need to be discerning about Eve
5: Well part of the problem is it, it's like God's God saying I love you but there's a condition on that mm-hmm. and and that's what I don't like about that particular word um, God's love is not conditional it's it's unconditional it it doesn't change mm-hmm. What he wants is for us to love him back. The obedience eventually happened, but the love wasn't there. You know, so they were following rules; they were making up their own rules.
0: Okay, I, I like the I like where you, I like where you're going with this. Yes, I'd like to suggest that a
6: strings attached version of God presents a version of God that, frankly, is not
0: trustworthy. There's no freedom involved there. Good.
6: And I was
1: going to say, if say I have a problem of some kind that I really want to work on. I might choose to make myself accountable to a friend mm-hmm. of that problem, for example, um, to just say, I want you to help me with this. But that's a different flavor um, that we're talking about.
0: Very good. Yeah, and one that I hadn't thought of. Let's, uh, let's contrast, hang on just a second, let's contrast two different law concepts. <clears throat> In an imposed law, what is it what is the word accountable? Um, how does that uh punishment. So yeah, we're we're accountable. If, if if we're not uh dotting our I's and crossing our T's, there's gonna be a penalty involved. Only if we get caught. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Well said. That's right. Only if we get caught. In a natural law concept, are we accountable to the law of gravity?
4: Yes, yes.
0: Are we accountable to the law of respiration? Yes. Are we accountable to the laws of thermodynamics? Are we accountable to uh, drinking uh, plenty of water and getting fresh air? Are we accountable to getting a good night's sleep?
4: We're accountable for our bodies.
0: So c- looking at this through one law lens, it gives you, imposed law lens, it gives you a different uh, d- a different. Uh, definition of accountability. Looking at it through a natural law lens, it gives you um, maybe almost the opposite view of accountability. Yes, we're accountable for the the laws of gravity and thermodynamics and the natural laws. We're accountable to the laws of health. Why?
3: Because
0: they're constants. And that's because God, that's how God designed life to operate. That's our accountability. If we want, if we want life, this, this is the this is the only pathway.
2: And it's unchangeable.
0: I, it's unbreakable. It's unchangeable. Correct.
4: Linda? You know, there's an accountability for what you do, for example. I think even among God, because the Bible is rife with, I'll hold you accountable because of all the good you could have done but didn't. And of all the things you didn't do but did. At the end, it says, you know, People are all surprised. They're surprised they're saved. They're surprised they're not saved. What surprises them? God has held them accountable. Because when I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they say, when did we not do that? He said, when you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. To me, that's accountability. God looks at how his love has infused us and done something for someone else. Salvation isn't selfish. It's not all about us. There's a purpose we have in life, and it's not all about us getting there. It's about allowing God taking the remedy and being healed, and doing letting that flow to someone else. There's accountability.
0: Okay, but I get a little squeamish when when I get a a picture of us, you know, standing before bar of justice and God up there thumbing through, thumbing through pages, and oh, missed one. That's not looking good. Oh, missed another one. It, the accountability of of us at the end and we're going to get into this a little more in um, um monday or tuesday's lesson the, the difference between the the righteous and the wicked is their condition it's not it's not a list of things that they did or didn't do it's not a list of it's not a list of, of commissions or omissions that that were uh, done to or for others. It's it's a it's a correct it's an accurate diagnosis of their condition. That you know, just like a patient's accountable to the physician to to follow the treatment plan. Uh, that that's that's a different form of accountability. I think yes. If I
4: give you a new car and you accept that,
0: funny you should mention that you take the responsibility and accountability for that new car.
1: God has given us life in our body and given us a mind. And he has given us the freedom of choice. If we accept the life gift that God gives us, then we are accountable, what we do with it. If we don't accept the gift of life, he takes it back and he lets us go.
0: Thoughts?
1: I guess I would think of these behavioral things that are associated with accountability as kind of like those diagnostic. It's, it's, it's
0: or symptoms. symptoms signs and symptoms.
1: Um, that one way we can know in an accountable way where we are is by whether we do these things for others, or whether we take care of the things that we're given. But they aren't in, in and of themselves our condition,
0: mm-hmm. they are symptoms
1: or diagnostic uh,
0: elements. Yeah, signs and symptoms of sickness or wellness.
1: Like what, Linda, you, the verses you were describing, you think, well, I did all the right things, but mm. the And that's how they are
0: surprised. Correct. Yeah.
5: Well, I was just going to say, the, in, the, in the imposed law construct, if you disobey the law, there's penalties. But in the natural law, we're just stupid if you don't follow those rules.
0: <laughs> well put. Um, you know, Tim and I have been taught... In just a second, Tim... Uh, Tim and I have been talking in the past uh, few weeks or so about some of the differences between the natural and imposed law uh, issues that, have, um, that we've been fleshing out here in our class in the last year. And it dawned on me that in- imposed law, it leads to, more, it leads to less predictability. Okay, an imposed law construct does not allow for security and, and predictability. For example, if you get pulled over by a policeman, there are there are several ways that that could go. Okay, and let's say, for example, you are you are exceeding a an imposed arbitrary speed limit. The policeman could write you a warning. He could uh, he could write you a ticket for—he could be gracious and write you a ticket for 10 miles less than you are actually going. He could write you for the full full excess of the speed limit. Okay? Those are just three possibilities right there. Okay? Now you have a choice. You can pay the fine and, and deal with the points on your license, or you can go to court and fight it. At court, there are several different options. The judge could dismiss the case— outright because of some procedural error, the judge could be having a good day and say, six months, no more tickets and I'll dismiss the charges. Like it never happened. The judge could reduce the, the fine or the uh, or the charge. Or the judge could fine you for the entire amount. Then you have a appeal, appeal process. Okay? There's there's no predictability, there's no there's no security or predictability in that in that whole imposed law construct. Yes capricious yes in a natural law construct you have we have a greater predictability of outcomes okay if you violate the law of love there are predictable there's a predictable cascade if you uh, if you observe the law of love the law of liberty the law of worship there are predictable changes that occur you know we there's a there's a human need to want to know the future Okay and, and I don't know if this is part of uh, the effects of sin or not. I don't know. But, you know, how many of us would love to know what's going to happen tomorrow? Not or an now. hour from now? Not you. Ha. <laughs> I would. And why? It, because because I'm selfish. Okay? I would love to know what the stock market's going to do at the close on Monday. <laughs> so, um You know, we we humans have this this need and this want and this desire for predictability and for for being able to to understand the future. Okay, embracing a a natural law construct gives us it gives us less fear. It gives us better predictability. Now we'll never we'll never really actually fully know the future, but it gives us it gives us a step in that direction. The the predictability of of uh, embracing the natural law gives us. It gives us, a, you know, a, a firmer stability. Let's move on. Sunday's lesson um, starts off with, well, Malachi one. There, there's a um, passage that's in there that says God hate God hated Esau. I hate Esau, but Jacob I love. Now, did did God really hate Esau? I mean, come on. Well, or was it the other way around? Even more than hating, I mean, did God love what Jacob did in deceiving uh, in deceiving Isaac and in, in tricking him into the birthright? I mean, really? Did God love, did God love Jacob more for that? Was it more that Esau hated God? He hated his ways and methods and principles. Okay, And when we encounter stuff like this, we need to we need to be discerning, even even when it's in scripture, especially when it's in scripture. There there are there are those who read that that book and say, "Yep, yep, God hated Esau," just like in uh, Monday's lesson, God hates divorce. There you go. It's in black and white. God said it. I believe it. Printed on a bumper sticker. Tim, you had a comment from my wife. I apologize. I moved on without.
2: Sorry, I was just gonna say taking the natural imposed thing and putting it into relationship language. You know, you, you can't um, you know, under a
1: natural <clears> construct. <throat> you either have a relationship or you don't. Under imposed, it's you sort of like have can have like a legal marriage with God, but
0: mm-hmm. not a real
1: relationship. <laughs> so
0: good, yeah. That's that's a good point. I think we're gonna flesh that out a little more in Monday's lesson as well. Why? Uh you know, Malachi 1, God, God's talking about, you know, I will turn the Edomites' waste, you know, Edomites' territory into the waste, into a wasteland. I mean, what, what was, what was God doing? Well, what was he, what was he trying to say to the Edomites and what was he trying to tell the Israelites in this? I mean, did he, did he get some perverse pleasure out of turning the Edomites' land into waste? Or was he even doing it? Was it their own, was it their own behaviors that was turning their land into a wasteland? Any thoughts?
4: If you look at it from
5: the, the idea, that even when they entered the promised land, you know, God set before them this is blessing and this is cursing. And blessing was his presence, and it was likened to water.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: you know, if, if the water is here and it's received, and, and it's, you know, then the land lives. And if it's not, then it doesn't. Um, and the Edomites, by their very behavior and by who and what they worshipped, Walked away from God, so he he was he literally could not bless them because
0: they rejected him. Right, but did you love them any less? In fact, isn't it isn't it conceivable for those who are parents um, and you have you have a child that um, obeys the house rules and and follows the directions of the parents and. And, uh, you know, chooses a, a pathway accordingly. And then you have a child who rejects the house rules and rebels. I mean, who, who, who does your heart break for? I mean, who, who do you, who do you yearn after? The, the wayward child, of course. I mean, God's heart was breaking because of the descendants of Esau. There are, there are branches of Christianity that, that teach that God got some perverse pleasure out of, um, you know, the, the death of the wicked, even though even though he, by his own words he says I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but they would turn to me and heal and be healed. Um, there's also some uh, in Malachi one, you know, you know God is kind of castigating the Israelites for bringing blemished sacrifices and why why were blemished sacrifices such a problem god god tells israel that he would prefer them to shut down the temple doors instead of bringing diseased animals into the into sacrifice and that's in verse 10 and what does it mean when god says cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the lord for i am a great king says the lord almighty did God actually curse the man who brought a blemish sacrifice, or did something occur naturally in that man that causes, it caused a change in his character? The point is in the man himself. It's
5: cursing is he, not, I am cursing you. Um, his own attitude, his own um, willingness to mar... Um, the, the, the sacrifice was supposed to represent Christ,
2: mm-hmm. and in
5: offering something that was less than, not only was he telling God, "I don't value you," but he was also marring that that sort of prophecy, um, the prophetic look
0: ahead. Good. Not, not only that, going along with that
5: we talked about it here before it's a lot of we become like the god we worship and admire and if we worship a, a god that is, is marred we're going to become like that
0: excellent that's exactly where I was going with that uh, I think it's I think it's reasonable to conclude that the mindset that developed over generations of this selfish behavior of, of you know picking maybe the least uh you know, less than the best, to offer for a sacrifice, it, it changed the mindset of the Israelites so that when God, when, when God himself came and walked on this earth, they had such a distorted construct of what God should be that uh, they nailed him to a cross and killed him. Thoughts? Is that reasonable? All right, Monday's lesson, loving and respecting others. This is from Malachi two, seven through nine. For the priest no, excuse me, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in the matters of the law. which law is God talking about here? Partiality in matters of the law. It's a trick question. Yes, you're right. It, <laughs> there's no partiality in natural law. Okay. We, we need to, we need to understand that God had to impose some sorts of restraints on, on, on humanity. I mean, government's, Governments impose impose laws because men and women aren't guided by natural law. We were not self-governed. So we have to be, sadly, we have to be governed by um, arbitrary laws. And the Israelites were no different. Okay? And the judges and the Levites were showing partiality to the wealthy, to their friends, to their family. Um. It shouldn't, shouldn't our imposed laws here on earth be reflections of God's natural law? I mean, certainly the Ten Commandments are, are beautiful reflection of the natural law of God, uh, as were the Mosaic Law and the, the, uh, the additional Mosaic Laws were reflections in, in different facets of God's natural law. I don't understand all of them. I don't understand what part of God's law, uh, wearing two, wearing a, clo- a cloth with two different, um, Two different fabrics is, but I, I accept and believe that, there was, that he was trying to he was trying to teach them something by that, as evident, you know, something about his natural law.
4: It have to do with purity, you know, not mixing one thing with another, be purely for God. Uh, you know, don't offer him less. When you're talking about sacrifices, which you were just talking about, I was thinking about do we do that today? Yeah. Do we offer less than our best? Do we offer half hearted sacrifice of ourselves? You know, do we, I think we're guilty of allowing everything else to take precedence over in a, a time mm-hmm. way of our life? It might not be bad things, it's just things. The enemy of the best is the good. You can, you can take away the, the best by just frittering away your time with good.
0: All right. And we congratulate ourselves for coming here for an hour or going to church for another hour a week. And that's good enough. It's not quite 10%, but he'll understand. <clears throat> um, in the second paragraph of Monday's lesson, we read, Quote, God had intended the marriage should be a commitment for life. Is that right? Yes. I agree. In Malachi's time, however, many men were breaking the vows that they had made early in life with, as the prophet said, the, quote, wife of your youth. Seeing their wives grow older, the husbands would divorce them and marry younger and more attractive women. I am so glad we've moved beyond that today. <laughs> quote, for this reason, the reason I just mentioned, God says He hates divorce. This strong statement reveals how serious God is about marriage commitments, which so often people take very lightly. These strict rules in the Bible about divorce show just how sacred marriage is. All right, we've got roughly a half hour left. We probably will probably be. we We may not get much further, which would be fine. Is, is men divorcing their, uh, their wives for younger, more attractive women the reason God hates divorce?
2: No.
0: no. No.
1: It's a symptom of why God hates divorce. It's one of the outwork,
4: outworkings of the thing that God mm-hmm.
0: really
4: hates divorce for. Okay. You have to think of what marriage was meant to be before you can understand why God would hate divorce. Because marriage was meant to be symbolic of the relationship of the Godhead, for example, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a way, uh, in a sort of play like, drama like way. Here is a family on earth. These two now have the ability to come together in love and create a being. And they were meant to love and protect and serve and enable each other to be their best. And they betrayed each other right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Divorce is a betrayal, in a way, of of that demonstration you were meant to, to make with your family.
0: Well said. I agree. Um, thankfully, I have never had the pleasure of going through a divorce, so I don't know. Um, I don't know what. I don't know what that's like. Praise heaven. Um. But. I want to suggest and I don't have any don't have any research to back this up. I want to suggest that, that that particular problem has done more or let me let me rephrase that. The way the church has dealt with this problem has done more to um cause people to leave our denomination than anything else. Okay, the way we treat divorces, the way we gossip about them, the way we, um, the way we tell them that, um, well, it's not for sexual infidelity, so you should probably stay with her or him. Um, the way that's right. The way we excommunicate them, or you know, either officially or unofficially. I mean does this does this really reveal the love of God sorry what or fire them for their jobs, for their jobs if they're in church leadership or in their school system or health care I mean, come on people why we've been over this why why is what's the what's the real reason God hates divorce and what's' let's, let's, there's probably a list of them let's 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 throw some things out here what? that it causes to the individuals. The damage it causes his children. It hurts his children. I mean, how many of you parents like to see your children hurting, physically or spiritually or, or emotionally? No, nobody does. I mean, come on. All right, well, have, if, we, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so you know, our, our loving Father in Heaven? I mean, are we, are we so, have we become so backward that we, we have this view of God that he's no, you got divorced, and there was no sexual infidelity. I hate that, and I hate you. Come on.
4: I can't take credit for this idea. I've um, heard it from
1: somebody who's got a good view of things. But God says he hates divorce because he's experienced it himself.
0: <laughs> that's, that's great. No, I've never heard that either, and I think that's fantastic. Exactly, he has. He's experienced his, his mate, humanity, uh, or Lucifer. The angels, they've 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 left. They've chosen to leave. He knows exactly what it feels like. That's a great point. Fantastic. Um,
4: Conversely, staying in a really bad, terrible marriage is also damaging to children.
0: <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I
4: think the damage of any sort is what God hates. It's not divorce. Is only one piece of this But mm-hmm. I have been through a divorce, so I know what that is like. What it feels like to be hurt and betrayed and try to figure out what's going to hurt the children worse, being divorced or staying married, you know, that kind of thing. And any of that God hates. I'm, I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're both. All is bad. God's ideal for us is the best way of living. And anything less than that, God would hate because of the damage it does to everybody.
0: Right. I mean, are we, are we so naive to think that God doesn't want us to forgive even sexual infidelity? I mean, please, he forgives it. I mean, he would love—he would love for human beings to forgive sexual infidelity and to restore a relationship, because what a what a testimony to to uh, everyone else. But he knows that 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 particular infidelity is often so egregious that it, it can't get past. I mean, he may be able to forgive it, but the the relationship can't be reconciled. Okay, this is why this is pointed out in Scripture as the Biblical reason for divorce, but you know Tim has Tim has said this many times. When you stand up in front of friends and family and witnesses uh, to get married, you don't just pledge your tingly parts to the other; you pledge your entire being. There was a hand back here. Yeah,
5: it's true for all sin, not just divorce. Right, uh, God doesn't like sin because of what it does to the sinner. Correct. reacts upon the sinner.
0: Thank you. Well said. Um, in verse 15 of uh, Malachi 2, it says, Has not God made, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. My question was, might godly offspring be be produced from a divorce as opposed to being raised under the umbrella of a poisonous marriage? Might we have more godly offspring uh, in a divorce situation where the marriage itself was so toxic and poisonous that it would raise ungodly offspring? Brittany. I have to speak from personal experience that if my mom
2: stayed married to my dad, I would have been a wreck. I mean, just... Mm-hmm. awful I would have turned out awful so
1: for my case I am very grateful
0: there you go <laughs> any other thoughts yes
2: Yeah, I think a problem too with divorce is at the heart of it it's um, it somehow says that you're not worth it to hang in there or to stick around or to um, deal with imperfection you know It's funny how a perfect guy is so long-suffering with us imperfect beings, you know. He he hangs in there time after time after time after time when we've just let him down over and over again. And sometimes, I think in divorce, people bail so so quickly. Now, I'm not talking about legitimate reasons, you know, but I think in this day and age, you know, uh, they don't hang around to help the other person. You know, I think we need to you know, be the Savior for our spouses, you know, and uh, and that takes time, and that takes effort, and that takes commitment, and I think um, that's where God is at. I mean, He's so long-suffering, He's willing to, you know, to die for
0: us. But above, above and beyond time, effort, and commitment, it takes love, okay, and... Love love does what's in the best interest of the other, always. And sometimes divorce might be in the best interest of the other person. For example, if, if I got married tomorrow, and a year from now I found out my wife was a heroin addict, and I wouldn't love her any less, I would make every effort to get her treatment she needed, uh, rehab, et cetera, et cetera. But if she, if she decided she loved heroin more than me, I, I, might, I might have to leave. Hoping that by leaving, something would click in her brain and she would think, hmm, I, I, lost, a, I lost a good marriage to heroin. I need to, I need to get rid of this stuff. Okay, love does what's in the best interest for other people, always, and and that's why God lets us go. God gives us up to our choices of divorce. If we choose to divorce ourselves from God, He's not going to physically or spiritually restrain us. Say, no, you're staying right here by my side, and you're coming to heaven whether you like it or not. God gives us up. God lets us go because He is love, because He's freedom, because He's truth. Um, sometimes divorce is the loving thing. To your point, I, I, I completely agree that that there are many 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 uh, in in our nation and in the world who, who who don't have the level of commitment, who get married too young, who don't who don't work hard enough at it, uh, who are so selfish that they don't consider the other person's best interests and well being, and they just they jump into and out of marriage, you know, like they change clothing. You're you're absolutely right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that sometimes divorce is the loving thing to do. Yes? I think it goes along with
1: this text of uh, 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Uh, Paul says, uh, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And,
1: in other words, let them experience the consequence of their actions so yeah. they won't see the error of their ways.
0: Right. You know, the, the, those, who, those who struggle with uh, addiction... Whether it's tobacco or food or or heroin or meth or whatever it is, they often have. They all they all say, "I had to hit rock bottom before I before I woke up and, and pulled my head out where it belongs before I turned my life around." Did you have a comment? Just hand Eve. You know, I, I think a lot of the problem that we currently
5: have is that we we still. We see marriage even as something under
4: an imposed law.
0: Yes, um, and it is.
5: And, and if, it's,
4: if it's a legal agreement,
5: then it's not something that, that needs to be worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's as God intended, more along the lines of a covenant, and people saw it that way, they might enter into it more carefully right, and then work harder at keeping it and keeping
0: it strong Uh, that's well said i agree yeah i mean really when you get married what do you get you get a license from the state you get an imposed license that says x and y are now married and you frame it and hang it up in the living room and the state says you're married ta has
4: more to do with finances
0: than... Correct. It, exactly. It has more to do with uh, death benefits and insurances and, and, uh, and what's going to happen to all that stuff when you get divorced. Don't get me started. <clears throat> all right. Tuesday's lesson. Tithe in the storehouse. Malachi 3... Verse 1 I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before thee. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come down to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. And we've been over this passage many times in our class, and, and really for me it, just, it never gets old. The Lord's messenger is going to purify his church, which he describes here as the Levites, which is also described elsewhere as a priesthood of believers. He's going to purify them with what? fire, like a launderer's soap, like a refiner's fire. Uh, and this is going to tie in nicely with Malachi 4.2 in Thursday's lesson when we're talking about the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. Note that the purification, or, or we, we, we could substitute healing and transformation, this occurs before the offerings, acceptable offerings are given. We often put the cart before the horse here, folks. We think, well, if I give my tithe, then, then I'll be, I'll be okay. Yeah, the salvation by works. What happens is the change of heart first, the beginning transformation, and then we gladly give, we cheerfully give. You know, what else can I do? How how else can I help, Lord? Character transformation changes behaviors. And to some extent, and to a little bit of extent, and there's some research to support this, the reverse occurs. I mean, if we, if we think positive thoughts, if we, if we dwell on the positive, intentionally dwell on the positive, it produces a, a, a brain change a transformation. Uh, but I'm going to suggest the lion's share of it occurs the other way.
3: I agree, but I have used particularly time with people that I've known or worked with who are unbelievers, specifically because he says, test me and try yeah. me. And because, in my experience, it is so 100% predictable, you want to talk about that?
0: Exactly, you're right.
3: That I tell them, you don't have to believe, you don't have to agree with me, but you've got to try this, yep. because I promise you it'll work. So you, that's the part before the horse, but...
0: Yeah, you're right, uh, and you know, something from her personal experience. Uh, you know, uh, her husband was a something of a non-believer on that, her ex-husband, and you know, Lori said, "Just try it, just see what happens." He 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 is now, he's now a major convert with the tithing. And he tells he tells other people he tells people that he comes in contact with. You need to you need to do you need to do this. You need to you need to try. It. You need to test it. Okay? I, I can speak from my personal experience as well. And it's not just it's not just a money thing. I mean it it changes every changes every part of your life. It's not. It's not just. It's not about money. If you if you go about it from a hmm, if I invest ten percent, I am going to get a better return on my money. I can do better than that better in the stock market yeah I'll, i think i'll do that come on that, that's please
1: it's, it's tied in with natural law because you know god is a giver
0: mm, good and that,
1: god is a giver that's part of love it's it's what, it's what love does and so when we participate in that it's restoring and healing and life giving
0: to us thank you thank you for bringing that up that was my next point you must be must be reading my notes here I mean, have you have you ever pondered you know What's what's the deal with tithe? I mean, really, why why does God want us to give back ten percent of of what's His in the first place? Well, what's the point? Does, does he need it? Yeah, thank you. It does exactly.
5: It's a self sacrificing move on your part.
0: <laughs> it is. But um, what's the what's the purpose?
4: Experience that my husband and I, who married late, late, late in life and had our children never failed to pay tithe and we got them through college and off the payroll and still never quit paying mm-hmm. and I know that it works
0: S- someone look up second uh, peter one four please
4: his
1: divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire.
0: Partakers of the divine nature. What, um, what is God's divine nature? Is it not you know, love, forgiveness, giving of, giving of ourself for the uplifting of others? Okay. It doesn't tithing fit right in with that. It isn't isn't tithing? You know, God says here, do this. You can be. You can know what it feels like to be me. You can have a, a little bit of an idea of what it feels like to be me, because this is what I this is what I do all the time. I'm I'm constantly giving of myself for your benefit, for your family's benefit, for the solar system's benefit, for the entire universe, for all the all the intelligent worlds I'm continually giving of myself. Always. And you can you can taste that.
6: Well and when we just think about it, God created us in his own image. Yes. So we were we were supposed if we if the sin never happened, we were supposed to be the image of the invisible God. I like to think that way. Well, we were supposed to be the visible representation of the invisible God, how Christ was. Mm-hmm. and uh, That's
0: why he's called the second Adam. Exactly,
6: yeah. And so now, um, I think that God in this life, our Heavenly Father, who is the loving Father, he gives us a chance now to have a little taste of what is going to be you know, when Christ returns. Because we are going to be reigning with Christ forever and ever. We're going to be a part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. I like to think about that. You know, we are always going to be connected with Christ. So I think he's kind of giving us a little taste to see what does it mean to be like, like me? You know, what does it mean to be God-like? What does it mean to be Christ-like? And I think this is a beautiful opportunity that he's giving us now to practice. Because uh,
0: Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. Any other thoughts?
4: About those lines, I'm a nurse, but Mm -hmm. I had a a pen pal for years since I was a teenager who didn't believe in doctors and nurses and believed in going to God for healing. Mm -hmm. She would call me if she had issues. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Of course. (laughs) I don't believe in you, but I want to ask anyway.
4: And I understood her perspective. The Bible does say you go to doctors, you don't come to me. You know, I believe in that. But what I told her years later, we finally met. And I told her, you know, my perspective being a nurse is that, yeah, God could heal people. You know, he could, he could uh, spiritually enable them to be converted without us. He could make the rock sing without us. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really need us to accomplish his purposes. Well, why does he allow us or even encourage us to be part of his purposes? So as a nurse, I get to participate in the healing mm-hmm. process physically. Absolutely. It is good for me to be part of the healing of someone else.
0: Absolutely. No spiritually question. Or
4: or whatever. It does feel like you're participating in God's perspective, being a nurse. Yes, God could miraculously heal everyone, but it gives us brains and allows us to be part of that healing process, which is good for me.
0: Oh no, no question. I completely know where you're coming from Yes, in the back, we have an online question comment. Well,
4: just a comment. Um,
2: tithing teaches us to trust
0: God.: Tithing teaches us to trust God. yes, it does. no question, no question about it and and if we if we Stumble and don't quite learn that lesson, then he'll bring us back over the same pathway until until the lesson is uh, until the trust is developed. No question. Um, all right. Wednesday's lesson titled "The Scroll of Remembrance," Malachi three fourteen and fifteen. You have said, "Quote: It is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty?" But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Does this sound familiar? Apparently, the Jews of several thousand years ago had the same issues with imposed versus natural law that we do, that we struggle with. Okay? Do do evildoers really ever, quote, get away with it?
4: No, but I
3: think that's what contributed most to what, them not recognizing Jesus is because they wanted someone to come that was going to make the evil doers pay.
0: Right. For the exactly.
3: And that's what we want in Christ's return. That's, Some sections of Christianity.
0: You know, it worked once. It, it worked once for Satan, and he's thinking, "You know what? I'm betting it'll work again. I'm going to, I'm going to sow." I'm going to so distort humanity and put and impose my character on the coming Messiah that that um, when I when I impersonate Christ, I'm going to give humanity exactly what they're looking for, and they will they will they will follow me like lemmings off a cliff. Eve, um, you
5: can tell that by their language that there was no heart change. Yes, because with with the obeying the requirements, they're going about like mourners. Mm-hmm. And those who go about with that
0: kind of countenance do not know God. Right? Correct. Exactly. Well said. Uh, that's a that's a point that I hadn't uh, thought of. Thank you. Let's be clear: sin, and not God, is what damages the sinner. There is never, ever a quote getting away with it. It doesn't happen. There's a getting away with it uh, in an imposed law. Back to my speeding illustration. Okay. I sped, I exceeded the speed limit on the way in here this morning. I got away with it. I didn't get caught. Really? Or does that make me more likely to do it again when we leave? Yeah, I'll tell you it does.. I want to apologize to the NSA. if you're listening. Send, send, your drone, send, your, send your drones to follow me.
6: <laughs> and I think this is where you would be.
0: <laughs> yes, I would. I'd be sitting right where you are, looking that way at the benevolent judge that I play softball with, hoping he would recognize me. Uh, verse 17 on the day when I act says the Lord Almighty they will be they will be my treasured possession and I will spare them as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who don't why will God spare a certain group and not others what is what is the distinction between the righteous and the wicked
4: the when you said it in the beginning, it's
0: their condition. It's their condition, yes. Uh,
5: it's, it's their reaction to God that distinguishes them. Right. Those who go about in the morning, and when they see God, they won't recognize him, and they'll flee. Mm-hmm. And there are those who know him and love him and will rejoice when he comes.
0: Yeah. So,
4: well, the, there's
0: one There's one group that's going to be standing with their faces and arms raised up, ready, ready to... Ready to break the bounds, break the constraints of gravity, and join Christ in the clouds. And there's the other group who's going to be begging and praying for the rocks and trees to fall on them and hide them from the face of Him who sits on the throne. Under imposed law, we have a decision which is possibly arbitrary, based on accepting a blood payment stamp next to our names in a book in heaven, and punishment according to the wrath that's stored up against us. That's that's one distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Under natural law, we have an accurate diagnosis of our condition, correctly documented in the medical records, and a loving giving over to our choices. Okay? That's a, that's a different definition of the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Please, I mean, please, which makes more sense?
6: I like what it says in Colossians, the third chapter, verse four. It says, When Christ who is our life, is revealed, then we also will be revealed with Him in glory. So when Christ comes, when He's revealed, what a beautiful thing that's going to happen is, we're going to be just like Him. Mm -hmm. We're going to be compatible with Him.
0: That's right. This is
6: a beautiful picture.
0: Absolutely, no question. Thursday's lesson, first paragraph, on a previous occasion the people asked quote where is the god of justice this is malachi 2 here at the beginning of chapter 4 a solemn assurance is giving that one day god will execute his judgment on the world as a result the proud will be destroyed along with the wicked just as stubble is consumed in fire stubble is the unusual part of uh, is the unusable part of grain is consumed in only seconds when thrown into a blazing furnace on the day of the lord fire will be the agent of destruction just as water was in noah's day yeah that's fantastic In uh, right below it says, "Read you know what?" It uses John three sixteen as a as a support for this um, argument. So John three sixteen that's probably one of the most commonly quoted texts in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, I read further uh, through verse twenty one. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Most people skip that text. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear, that their, that their deeds will be exposed, correct. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Take this take this, this, last uh, bit of the passage in context with the, the quote, son of, the sun of righteousness is rising with healing in its wings or rays. If we come into the light of, of God's healing, of Christ's healing, while we're under the umbrella of God's infinite grace, we will be healed. If we persist in evil, then our characters will become so warped that uh, we will want to run and hide from the light, i.e., begging for the rocks and trees to fall on us when the light uh, appears. Tim has used the, uh, the comparison of coming out of a cave. How many of you ever ever been in a cave? Anybody? in a cave and then turn the flashlights off. Okay, folks, this is a darkness that you can feel. Okay, and this is a darkness that uh, when the, you know the plagues of Egypt, the, the darkness plague. This was a darkness that you can't see your hand in front of you. I mean, you can literally put your hand there and you can't tell any difference. It is spooky. Now, imagine living in that cave for a while, completely, you know, devoid of light. Which is more preferable if you're going to be brought out of the cave. Would you rather be brought out at two AM or two PM? Two AM. Two A.M. Of course. You start seeing first light about five thirty. You rise adjust to the growing the, the, the sunrise. Okay, this is what this is what the text means. The sun of righteousness is rising with healing in its wings. God God is rest- God is restraining His glory. Christ restrained His glory; He veiled His glory in humanity, because if He had come with unveiled glory, humanity would have been destroyed, because we are we were incompatible with that glory. He's healing us with greater and greater revelations of His light, and if we do that, if we allow this to happen, uh, while we're still under the grace of God. Then we will be transformed to to like Him. If we wait and get it, if if we wait until He comes in the clouds of glory, that's like coming out of a cave at two uh, two in the afternoon. Thank you. Yeah, if you spend too long in the cave, you completely you completely go blind. Well said. Let's uh, let's wrap up. Let's close with prayer. Thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the uh, The insight and understanding and the uh, glimpses into your character that you 've given this class uh, I can speak from personal um, personal experience it has been fantastic It has been wonderful coming out of the cave uh, at two in the morning instead of two in the afternoon. Uh, we, ask for your, we ask for more wisdom we ask for more understanding we ask for a deeper deeper knowledge of your character and a greater measure of your holy spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Amen thank you all. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.